We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the DFS NFL podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I'm your host, Joe Pizzapia, and joining me today is another Joe. He's a very special Joe. He's Joe from Rotowire. Joe Bartell is going to join me for our DFS recap show and look ahead to the Monday-Thursday games. Joe, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, my voice is a little rusty because I was at the Packer game last night, uh, but we came away with a win, so I'm definitely feeling great this morning. Well, look, I mean, there's worse things to be horse over. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, you go to con- good concerts, something like that. But going to the Packer game, that's pretty fun. Plus, you got to see a, a W for the Green Bay Packers. I'm sure that's a very exciting thing. Plus, you know, just so you know, it sounds sexy for the ladies. You know, we got like that raspy <laughs> voice. So, yeah. that's I didn't even think about that. But you're right. I'm, I'm helping out the female population. And that's that's right. So all the ladies listening, this is the sexiest <laughs> version of Joe Bartell. You might get all year. I don't know how many Packer home games he's going to, but we'll we'll find that out. So we are going to break down for you. Uh, all the week that was in DFS or the weekend at the very least. Uh, but before we do, you know, let's just talk a little week one, you know, right off the gate. Uh, I know that, you know, everybody's seeing the David Johnson injury and that kind of sucks. It's funny. You look at a lot of the big nine talent you didn't get, Jay Ajayi because of the weather or Mike Evans, right? No Odell Beckham because of the ankle. You've got uh, Le'Veon Bell with the holdout who didn't play well. Then you got David Johnson with an injury. Really, the elite talent the NFL this week was not exactly what we were hoping for. Oh, and you also left out Mike Evans, too, who I know hurt quite a bit for me personally, um, being a guy that I targeted a lot later in drafts that wasn't able to play because that same uh, canceled game moved to the bye week in week 11. That, that to me, was another one. Just that this had to be, and, I, and I'm a little bit younger, so I guess I can't say this with for certainty, this had to be one of the weirdest weeks in fantasy sports that I can recall, especially football, just with all the weird injuries, the, the holdouts that you mentioned, the game being moved to week 11 that was supposed to be week one, 
Um, two Monday night games too, which is also kind of impacting things a little bit because you have to put a different strategy when you're when you're doing your regular lineups plus really DFS too. It, this was just a, a fluky week. That's that's how I'm telling myself mentally that this was just a fluky week. Well, I'll tell you what, this happens more often than you realize. I think the week one last couple of years, of, it just seems to be getting worse and worse. And, you know, I have a theory about it. I'm going to share it with you, and you tell me what you think. I, I think that the, there you go. It's not a conspiracy theory, but I think this is just a practical one. We'll see uh, what your thoughts are on it. But, you know, the way the preseason is structured, right, nobody plays in week four of the preseason. So, basically, most of the, well, all of these teams with their main players are almost coming off a bye. They tend to be flat. They tend to not be in rhythm. I don't understand why they don't play two preseason games, limit all the injuries, let the starters play the first quarter of the first game, the first full half of the second game, and then go right into playing football. Because I think part of the reason you see these teams so flat and weird out of the gate is they have no timing. They have no continuity here because really they haven't played much together. And, you know, I understand they want to evaluate all this talent on the back end of the roster, but is that really worth it when we look at what we saw week one? I mean, this was a lot of bad football in week one. Let's be honest. Yeah. If it's harming the main product, which I have to imagine uh, week one was probably not what a lot of people were expecting from the NFL season. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, Maybe that's what the owners are looking for and, and the people that are scheduling the games are want. But personally, me, I was like, oh, the Falcons only beat the Bears 23-17. to 17. What? What's going on with that? Mm-hmm. The Bengals didn't score a single touchdown, single point, rather, against the Ravens. A divisional game? Come on, what is that? So, I, you know, I don't know if that's so much a theory as – what everyone that knows football wants to happen, I feel like, right? Because that's well, it's what I want to happen. That's for sure. But I'm I'm trying to finally, you know, justify all of my wants and <laughs> desires in life of the why preseason sucks and why it's too long. And I'm looking at I'm I'm you're starting to see the effect of it. I think in week one, the last few years, where these teams look flat, they don't look like they're in rhythm. The players, the quarterbacks, they don't look like they're in lockstep with their receivers. It, it's just a lot of sloppy football, like all on on all accounts. So, you know, pretty much every team in the first half of yesterday's games looked sloppy. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any other way to put it, and I don't know if there's really anything else that you can blame it on besides the preseason games. In my mind, that, that's the main culprit behind it as well. Now, whether you cut it down to two, two games or whatever, I, I don't know if, what, what that would be the situation there. I think that it's clear, though, that we're getting a, a diminished product, at least if you're looking at the past couple week ones, as far as what we're expecting from the NFL. All right, let's get to some of the GPP studs of the week. Uh, And let's start a quarterback. I think a quarterback that a lot of people had shares of the other part of this game. It was the Arizona side, but Detroit putting up 35, the $7,600 Matt Stafford was owned somewhere around 3%, depending on the tournaments. And he put up 28 points, I think, against a tough defense. I don't know if anybody really saw this coming. Uh, Certainly a great win. Now, the question is, Matthew Stafford and company getting off to a good start. Does this continue potentially as they go against the Giants next week on Monday Night Football? In recent seasons, after Kelvin Johnson retired, obviously, the Lions have actually been trending towards more of a running attack. So I thought it was a little strange to see them give so much money to Matthew Stafford. Now, obviously, um, we know that the quarterback play is very important for any NFL team. And I think that to have a good quarterback, you kind of have to lock them up. And they were forced to pay him in my mind. So at the same time, I was like, that's, that was a head scratcher when I saw that money come in. You look at the production he put together, though, here, and I, I have to wonder, well, what was I thinking? Because you're right, the Cardinals' defense was supposed to be really good. Uh, they played really well in the preseason for the most part, and I think that was a, a matchup that a lot of people wanted to avoid. But yet 
here we have Stafford throwing four touchdowns. Partially that was because they were in comeback mode, it felt like, or at least both teams. How is it possible? You tell me. How is it possible that both teams (laughs) felt like they were in comeback mode that whole game? You're right. That's what it it looked like. It was a lot of desperation, and I think that goes back to the earlier point. You're absolutely right. I watched part of that game, and, you know, I was going back and forth to a couple of different ones, and, yeah, it was a weird feeling of desperation, and maybe that came from partially, you know, the David Johnson injury late, and maybe it also came from the fact that Amir Abdullah is completely useless, it appears again, and, you know, the lack of running game. Right, yeah, and you're just hoping that everybody can get take their shots downfield and figure it out. But yeah, I mean Stafford and Golden Tate, it was a great combination. If you had them, uh, that was fantastic. We're talking about you know 16.4 for Golden Tate points wise, a, a good outing for him. He crossed the century mark, and that's what you want. Uh, let's go over to the running backs. Talk about a couple of them. We know Le'Veon Bell was a disappointment. David Johnson, unfortunately, with the injury, was a disappointment as well. But Jordan Howard, just six percent owned. Uh, in most tournaments, he put up 14. Now, Tariq Cohn actually got a fair amount of looks, too. Yeah. Now, if you had Tariq Cohn in a flex in DraftKings, you did very well. There actually is a lineup. Uh, <laughs> I think the Millionaire Maker actually uh, winning lineup had Tariq Cohn in it. He put up 25 over on the other side, on the other side. So, I mean, just a huge day. But here's the question. Now, going forward, how does this Tariq Cohen part of the offense, especially now that Kevin White's out for the year again, how can we possibly – now, gauge this, like, is this a, a weird kind of spot where there's enough to go around for both of them, in your opinion? Or do you think Howard's still the guy and Cohen's more of this one-off GPP kind of play? It sounds like you're on repeat every single year with that oh, Kevin White stuff. I, I really liked him coming in uh, from college, and I, that's, I think that's it. Like, the, is there really anything more that you can expect from Kevin White other than a, a week one season-ending injury? Because that's, that's, that's all. And that's can- good. That's good some years. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes he doesn't even get that. Let's be honest. <laughs> I'm not even a Bears. Well, obviously I'm not a Bears fan, but that break in my heart. I, I really like, thought Kevin White was going to be pretty good. But back to your original question, I was not at all a fan of Tariq Cohen. I thought that was a, that was a blown pick by the Bears, given what they what I thought they needed. And and obviously at least week one, they utilized him pretty well. I'm not a huge fan of the the coordinator over there, and I, I thought that they would just simply not be able to know how to utilize him correctly. Now the rushing yards, he broke one big play where he had a run. He ran to the left side and then ran all the way back to the right side and, and made things happen out of that. So I'm not really counting on him to be able to produce what was it 50, 50 plus rushing yards in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, I do think they're going to utilize him in the short passing game. I'm a little concerned in season long leagues, seeing how much they use Cohen. That okay, maybe Jordan Howard isn't as big of a stud as I thought he would. But in DFS, I think there's a scenario where you could have both of them be potentially lucrative options. Obviously, they're not going to be having Cohen run in the goal line very often, if at all. So Howard's going to get the majority of the carries. And maybe the Bears' offense isn't as bad as we anticipated they would be to start the year. So Howard will have more opportunities to get in the red zone and capitalize on that. Obviously, he's a talent, too. Like, we can't just ignore that. So I think Howard's still a guy that I would use quite a bit. But I'm not going to be paying up uh, extremely high for a price tag, especially when we have Tariq Cohen around catching a lot of those passes and just taking a lot more snaps from Jordan Howard. Yeah, Tariq Cohn, uh, 66 yards on the ground and the one catch for the touchdown, 47. Uh, I, I think this was a bit of a one-off. I think his ownership's going to be way too high next week, and it's going to be the opposite. The reason why it was a good play this week is because nobody was really on it opposite this time around coming into week two. All right, let's talk about some of the guys that were chalk at running back that paid off. And, you know, I always say this every year. You know, just because a guy is a good salary and is going to be highly owned doesn't make him a bad play, especially in tournaments, uh, you know, in the top lineups, a lot of Todd Gurley, you know, he was anywhere from 30 to 35% owned in some spots. 
and he had himself a fantastic day. He, you know, he, he put up the points. He was a great matchup for him. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to buy into how good Jared Goff was. I think it's more how bad Indianapolis was, but certainly with Cooper Cup, certainly look, this Rams in general, you might as well just pick them apart because Goff was useful. Cup was useful, especially in a full point PPR. And Todd Gurley, I think, starting to get back on track and hopefully becoming the Todd Gurley again uh, that we had hoped that we would see last year that we really didn't. And let you know how bad Jeff Fisher is as a coach as well. But I'm thinking Todd Gurley salary-wise is going to take a pretty big jump in the next couple of weeks. What are your thoughts? I would expect that too. And I will call, I will say that I thought Todd Gurley was the uh, fantasy play at running back, at least at least one of them. Um, I, I, the Colts defense was not very good last year. I didn't think they made any noticeable changes in the offseason. So a Todd Gurley was a guy I had in every one of my lineups, it felt like. And, and, and obviously he did pretty well. I was not anticipating a 46 to nine blowout at all. Two defense touchdowns really adds into that, but still like that, I was a little bit closer of a game. That Rams defense is really good. That Colts offense is really, really bad. Um, and I think we saw both of those on, on prime display Sunday. Going back to the point, I, I'm a little worried about Jared Goff um, using him. I, I, I wouldn't be expecting 300 plus yards passing from Jared Goff most times. So if we're to take one player away from this game, I think it's Todd Gurley. And I think that he is back. I would be, uh, comfortable using him in, in certain situations. Obviously, when he's going against a tough run defense, with the fact that Jared Goff maybe just isn't that good of a quarterback, time will only tell. Obviously, he had a good week this week. Um, there'll be a lot of people highlighting the run, and I don't think Ty Gurley would be able to utilize it that effectively. But at the same time, you know, if Jared Goff can do what he did again, like if if this is a resurgent sophomore season, that's a different Rams offense that we have not seen in a long time with a, a solid quarterback, a solid running back, and maybe two solid receivers. Obviously, Sammy Watkins, they made the deal for him in the preseason. Um, he didn't do quite as well as I think maybe some of us were anticipating. But Cooper Cup was a guy that I was not high on at all coming out of the draft, and he did very well against the Colts. So this is a different Rams offense than we might have ever been able to anticipate. Yes, it looks like an actual useful one for a change. Shocker. Again, Shocker. let you know how bad of a football coach and how outdated Jeff Fisher and those systems were. It was just, just absolutely awful. So hopefully, but Joe, this he's again. on hard knocks. He has to be good. Well, that's true. You know, that's a great point. You know, <laughs> to quote the hard knocks, this is some seven and nine BS. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, and and that's why it's because they were running systems that were completely and utterly outdated. And it was just, just insane. Uh, LaShawn, uh, just just for perspective too you know, of how bad a day it was for the top guys. David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell combined skill scored less points than Todd Gurley yesterday. So that's that's tough. Yeah, that's (laughs) That's a tough tough day. Yep, Uh, That's a real tough day. One more running back to get to, LaShawn McCoy. Uh, You know, look, they're going to run LaShawn McCoy into the ground and DFS is where you want him because if if and when he does get hurt uh, because of the amount of volume they're going to have to rely on him with, you know, at least in the daily world, you don't have to, to worry about him season-long-wise, running him out there again the week after. So he becomes a very, very appealing running back. Again, I always like LaShawn McCoy as a fade from the very top guys because he offers very similar production. And I can tell you what, the other thing we learned is we can just troll the Jets all year long <laughs> because if the Bills are putting up 21 against them and, you know, the Bills are not a great offense by any stretch of the means at all, just keep finding the Jets matchups, keep trolling them, and, and just keep going. All right, another stud here on the wide receiver end. Uh, we've got two from Oakland, Michael Crabtree and Mari Cooper, both having good days. Crabtree a little bit more uh, solid with the receptions, but Cooper with the touchdown again. Cooper he should have had a better game. He, he, he dropped three touchdown passes on one drive. He should have. And you know what? It's, it's, it's a shame. But the good news is, Joe, things are looking up because guess who he gets next week at home? The Jets! Hooray! <laughs> 
Hooray, Michael Crabtree. So, look, everything you said was right there. I'm thinking that Crabtree next week might even be the better play. I think everybody will see that touchdown from Cooper. There will be a lot of Cooper-Carr pairings, but I'll still take the Crabtree one, especially in cash games. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Crabtree gives you a safer floor, right? I mean, he's the guy that is targeted more frequently than Mari Cooper in the last two years. I think that's the case. And obviously, red zone might be a different scenario. You're looking for a boomer bust. Not so much boomer bust because Cooper's still an amazing talent. I I don't want to make it seem like he's not. But I think Crabtree's the guy that Carr feels more comfortable with. So if you were to partner two of those guys together, I think I would lean towards Crabtree as well. That being said, are you sure you want to do that against the Jets? They have a, a bad team. Just flat out bad team and there could be a situation where this is just Marshawn Lynch running all over the place then we have you know like DeAndre Washington or something or Jalen Richard that just gets a handful of carries too and and they just simply run the ball and just try to run through the game because this should be a blowout once again to me I'm not going anywhere near that because I don't think they're gonna be passing that much I'll tell you what I'm confident in how bad the Jets are that they will give enough at least in that first half to make those guys useful. That's <laughs> and you're right. The second half of this game towards the end, you know, maybe you get a little Washington in there. Maybe, you know, like you said, you get Marshawn Lynch ground and pounded. And look, I think Lynch becomes a little bit more viable next week because of that, uh, you know, even as a trio, if you want to make a trio of the three of them, because I think there's going to be enough to go around there with, a, let's say, a cash game lineup where you get, you know, a Lynch car and Crabtree next which is not bad because then you're looking at two halves of the game. You're looking at Crabtree having enough early on, especially especially when you are looking for more of that possession wide receiver that he's been for him over the last couple of years. All right, now let's talk about uh, Antonio Brown because it bears witness. Now, even though he's most weeks going to be the most expensive guy on the board for the most part, it's because of days like yesterday where he didn't even get in the end zone and he still crossed 23 points. Uh, his ownership was somewhere around 20% owned. And, you know, it doesn't matter. I'll tell you, Antonio Brown on a weekly basis is probably the safest investment season long daily fantasy. It doesn't matter because I'll tell you, I don't know if you saw this game or not, but when you're watching that game, it was kind of lackluster. Next thing you know, a couple balls to Antonio Brown in a row. And all of a sudden the offense just picks up and clicks and, and it just goes on from there. And Pittsburgh went in to win 21-18. But Antonio Brown, 11 for 182. And next week's matchup, he's at home where Roethlisberger has been much better the last three years. So it's, things are looking good for him next week as well. Antonio Brown is one of the receivers that I just generally like to watch. Not even fantasy purposes, not like I have a rooting interest in the Steelers or their opponent. I just like watching what he can do on the field now. Maybe off the field, the personality isn't a guy that I, I gravitate towards. But at the same time, what he does there, how, how he's really truthfully able to de- embarrass defensive backs at times is, is something that's just fun to watch. I would say unique, not that we don't see cornerbacks getting embarrassed on a daily basis while watching NFL, but just in how he's able to do at the talent level. And given his size, you wouldn't think a guy like that would be able to do the things that he does. I love Antonio Brown as a player. Um, daily fantasy, I normally stay away from him just because Le'Veon Bell is normally a, a bigger bigger point of that, especially against the Browns team that I thought the Steelers would blow out. That wasn't a guy that I was really looking at targeting, but that was a lot closer than I think a lot of people anticipate. And as, as a result, we see Antonio Brown cross the 20 point threshold. So, you know, I, I agree with you that he's probably the safest receiver. That's also why you're paying so many, so much big money for that. And I think at least in tournament plays, um, you can either pivot and say, all right, I, I want the safe thing. I want the safe player, or I go in a different direction. And maybe that's why I'm not nearly successful, successful as I should be in DFS, but you go in a different direction and say, all right, let's go with a, a bigger play potential. Cause I think that there are other receivers out there that give you a higher ceiling. Whereas Brown is obviously one of the highest floors that you can get 
at that position. Well, and the Cleveland Browns, to the point, too, they're a much better defense than people give them credit for. And they, the front especially, you know, with Collins and, you know, when Garrett gets up to full speed there. I mean, I think that that's a, that's a unit that I think is going to be underrated and undervalued. And if you're looking for a responsible punt defense, I mean, look at how they, hang, they hung with the Steelers yesterday for the most part. And they were not 100%, and the offense didn't help them too much. But I, I think that that's one of those units that might be a sneaky play going forward, and especially in tournaments. Uh, speaking of defenses, too, I mean, how about those Rams? Did yeah. we talk about the Rams defense? I mean, we talked about the Rams offense, the juggernaut, the Super Bowl favorite, Los Angeles <laughs> Rams. They put up 46 points, but, I mean, not just the differential. They were just – I mean, they were all up on Scott Tolzien and then eventually Jacoby Brissett, four sacks, two picks – uh, fumble, a defensive touchdown. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah a couple touchdowns. Yeah, two touchdowns, right? And the safety, yep. too. Didn't they have a safety in this one as well? Yeah. Um, I, I hope for the Colts fans that they didn't have a safety. I, I, I'm not positive whether or not they did. All I know is that the two touchdowns will be running on the highlight reels for the uh, at least the current week, it feels like, because that was an utter blowout. Really, defenses as a whole were, were fantastic. Like, I targeted the Steelers going against the Browns, thinking Deshaun Kaiser, rookie quarterback, not going to do so well. 18 points out of that's not bad on FanDuel. Um, then Jacksonville Jaguars, which was a surprise. I mean, that that whole game was a surprise to me. I thought the Texans would be the one that would destroy them. But, hey, Jaguars put up 28 points. They also had a, a defensive touchdown, too. Uh, turns out that Tom Savage actually isn't a good quarterback. Shock. Shocker here. Oh, yeah. So, wow. many, so many things Don't really just opened up that. to us after week one. Like, you know, there's things that we never knew. I mean, it's really it's, – it's so educational. <laughs> but, you know, here's a great question for you. Now, the, I know the Jacksonville – look, the Jacksonville can get to the quarterback. We know that. You know, yes. Campbell over there in that grouping, we know that that's a, a strong young unit. Now, the question is, how much of what we saw yesterday from that Jacksonville defense was because how bad Tom Savage and that offense was or – is this Jacksonville Jaguar defense for real? And then can we make some you know money on them? Because, hey, this is an underpriced, underappreciated unit going into week two because week two they are at home. Let me take a look at against the Titans, which is not a cakewalk. I was just going to say, I, I think I would target the Jacksonville Jaguars defense against anybody in the AFC South. So it's good that you told me that they play the Titans. So I don't, uh, as I can continue to back that up. You were talking about the Browns defense is that one that you're like, oh, maybe they're, maybe they're not as bad as you anticipated. The Jaguars' defense is really, really good. Now, we haven't been able to see that because they haven't been able to put all their pieces together. This is what that Jaguars' defense can do. I, Tom Savage, I have full confidence, is horrible. I have, I have full confidence in the fact that Tom <laughs> Savage is not a good quarterback. Don't, don't doubt me on that at all. That being said, the Jaguars' defense is a lot better than people are going to get credit for, and I think that they're going to be one that you can capitalize multiple weeks until we start to see that, oh, yeah, actually, no, wait, this is a very good team. They have the pass rushers. They have the run stoppers. They have athletic linebackers that are fast that can make plays in coverage, and they have the quarterbacks. Maybe the safety is the only part that that defense is, is hindering on, but that's a good team, uh, at least defensively. Now, if Blake Bortles can do what he does, uh, at least what he did against that Texans defense, which I also think is pretty good, that might be an overall pretty good team, but I can feel very confident saying the Jaguars – is a team that I would not be targeting to take advantage of, at least on other teams' players. And I certainly would be looking at them for DFS purposes and season-long leagues, depending on the matchups. You know, it's funny. I owned them in this in a season-long league yesterday, and it was I almost thought about dropping them at the last minute. I was like, ah, you know what, I'm going to leave them in there. Savage isn't bad. We'll see if they can get to the quarterback. And uh, 
get to him, they did. <laughs> you know, they certainly, uh, certainly put enough. Six sacks in the first half. Yeah, not bad. Not a Six bad six. scenario. Like I said, I was hoping for a couple. Uh, I didn't expect what I got. Uh, let, you know, let's talk about the tight ends real fast, too, and just kind of hit those before we start looking at Monday night's games. Because Zach Ertz, obviously, you know, the PPR monster that we thought he would be, a great return on investment. Did not get in the end zone, but I think as long as he's continuously a part of this offense like this, you're, you're going to get some red zone conversion eventually. Let's not freak out here. And in either way, you know, at least in cash games, that that floor you're going to get what you pay for out of him. You know, I know Witten had a touchdown last night too, which is not something you saw a lot last year, but a guy right. who was targeted in the offense a great deal. Uh, and tight ends too. Then, of course, you had the Austin Hooper giant touchdown. But I'm going to warn everybody – Stay away from that. Be careful of that because that's such a one-off. A couple of years ago, I remember Zach Miller had an 87-yard touchdown run. That was like the first time one had happened since 1999 where a tight end had an 80-plus-yard reception. It's a weird thing, okay, <laughs> for a tight end to have yeah. giant touchdowns. Don't go chasing last week and all the things. Because I'm telling you right now, Austin Hooper's ownership is going to double week to week just off of the that, that potential, quote-unquote. And I think that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. You look at the stats in Austin Hooper, over 120 receiving yards, two catches, and you're like, okay, yeah, he's he's a he's a stud tight end or whatever. And and obviously, he was a guy that was on a lot of fantasy radars um, as as a under the radar type of player that you could get um, as the 14th or 15th drafted tight end in redraft leagues, obviously. And who could be a top 10 guy? We saw the numbers this week, but that was a blown coverage. That there's no other way to describe that touchdown play. A blown coverage and even a worse tackle. I don't put in a lot of credence into that. If you're buying Austin Hooper, you're, bu- uh, you're buying him because you think that he can be more consistent than what we just saw there. Yeah, he's got big play potential. I think a lot of people in the Falcons offense in general do, but you're buying it for the consistency. Now, let's go back to Jason Whitney. You were talking about he scored a touchdown. He's more consistent in the fact that Dak Prescott has to look to him in yeah. the middle of the field for PPR purposes. Same goes for Zach Ertz. I'm not – like when I'm looking at a tight end – yeah, getting the touchdowns is great. Like Jesse James that, you know, stumbled into two Renzo touchdowns. Perfect. All right. Yeah, I'd love to have that happen. But we don't really know. As much as we like to pretend we do when we're talking and doing these podcasts, we don't really know who's going to be putting together all these touchdowns and stuff. So I like the consistent floor um, that comes with a lot of these pass-catching tight ends. And Zach Ertz, I have never been one that hurts for Ertz. I, I, can, I can assure you that is not something that I haven't really put onto my mantra. But at the same time, Carson Wentz seems to like him. I think Carson Wentz as a quarterback is going to be developing uh, a lot better. I'm more of a Wentz fan than a Goff fan. And if we thought Goff was doing well, I think Wentz had a great game too. So um, I might have to get a little bit more on the Ertz bandwagon as much as it pains me to to fall into that uh, team name that always seems to happen in fantasy football. No, I I agree with you. I watched watched a a lot of Carson Wentz yesterday, and he was good. Look, he got out of a lot of pressure too, made some athletic throws, uh, some some good moving around in the pocket there. I think you like what you saw out of Wentz. But Wentz also started out good last year. And I'm not, and it didn't go well down the stretch. So I'm hoping that whatever that is, that's the learning curve, and they've surrounded him with more talent. And hopefully, guys like Jeffrey, guys like Blunt, you know, more veteran presence there that will be able to help that development and give him a little bit more confidence. You know, the other tight end that I love this week, but unfortunately was a bust, was Tyler Eifert. But that's really because, you know, Andy Dalton wasn't able to complete a pass to anyone on his own team. That seemed to be a bit of a yeah, struggle. He, plenty, plenty on the, the Ravens side. I mean, he, he definitely was able to find Oh, that yeah. Yeah. I, w- I wish I had been open all the time. Oh, yeah. And, and he found him. Oh, oh <laughs> did he find him? All right. Let's take a look. We've got uh, two Monday night games and playing around with some lineups here. Uh, we've got New Orleans at Minnesota. We've got the Chargers, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, by the way, as the first <laughs> game is the Los Angeles Chargers uh, at the Denver Broncos. And 
there's no Monday Thursday game, so you can't uh, loop them in contest wise. Now I don't know if that's just because of the double Monday night game. That's how it's running. Or if that's something that now they're doing away with the Monday, Thursday, we'll just see next week to be sure. But right now you can only play the two Monday night games together here. Um, it's very difficult to get a cash game with Drew Brees in it, unless you are really taking a hit somewhere at running back. Like you're going to have to go down to like the CJ Anderson and hope for the Adrian Peterson kind of revenge game narrative. And, and even then it's tough because then you want to pair him with Michael Thomas. So the only way you can really do it, make it work is if you kind of, you play around with it, you put Ted Ginn with him, but all of a sudden you put Ted Ginn with Breeze. And I, I didn't care for that as a cash game lineup. I think the better cash game grouping is probably Sam Bradford and company like i Bradford and Thielen or Bradford and Diggs in any kind of way, or if you want to put Rudolph in that grouping too, that seems to be the better cash game route right now. And I'm thinking Breeze is actually a better GPP play because of how difficult the salary dynamic is with these four teams out there on the slate. Forget the, forget the salary part of it. I, why would we want to play Drew Breeze against arguably, and, and maybe this is going off the rails a little bit, but I don't Oh, think no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm buying in the Vikings, so I'm, I'm probably on this with you. Vikings might be the best one in the league. Like, I truly believe that if they can have everyone healthy, if they have them developing – as we anticipate them doing, and if they're gelling as much as we are, that's one of the best defenses in the league. And now Drew Brees is Drew Brees. Like I, I'm not saying that he's going to you know throw for 50 yards and look like the second coming of Jared Goff last year, but at the same time, I, I'm not looking at him in a, in a DFS setting in any way because I think that Vikings defense is really good. I, I kind of am on the same way with uh, Phil Rivers too, who I like a lot in a season-long league. He struggled mightily against the Broncos last year. Now that offense didn't change too much. The defense from the Broncos didn't change too much. I'm expecting similar things for that game too. So uh, it's between Trevor Simeon and Sam Bradford, and uh, that already has me going, like I don't want to use any of those guys for a quarterback. Well, you know, here's my defense of Bradford, and I'll see what you think of this. My defense of Bradford is last year this guy came in, and basically week one with a new playbook, new offense, new cast, lost his offensive coordinator, or at least a changeover from North Turner a couple weeks into the season. And he performed pretty admirably. And now you've added a young Dalvin Cook, who I am all kinds of, you know, thumbs up me on. Too. Let me tell you. Me too. I me love too. Dalvin Cook. He was terrific in college. The thing I'm like most about Cook, where I think he's going to exceed in the NFL, is his ability to break tackles. You know, it that first initial impact was never the one that brought him down. And I think that's the thing that I think you need in the NFL because they're going to get to you and they're going to hit you. And those running backs, you know, this was my kind of knock on Kareem Hunt is, you know, I know he played so well in the first game, but if you watch Kareem Hunt, it's not the same as when you watch Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook takes a hit and another hit and it keeps going. You know, Kareem Hunt would take a hit and then, you know, go down or change. You know, it's, it's very different. And against lesser defenses too. So for me in this one, I think Cook, I think Thielen, I think Diggs, I think Rudolph, I think Bradford. And I'm looking at it, I'm saying this is a really well-balanced offense. And if they've had a lot of time in a full offseason together, I think this bodes well for helping that defense not get as jet-lagged as they did down in the second half last year because they were just too much pressure. They were on the field too much. Of course, on our very first podcast together, you would bring up one of the worst moments as a Packers fan last season, that being Sam Bradford letting us up despite the fact that he had a week of practice in his first game with the Vikings. So, <laughs> yes, sorry. thank you. Thank I'm sorry. You it was, uh, it's an open wound. Well, if, I'm a, if, I, if, if I had any consolation, I'm a Pats fan, so the season started <laughs> off rough for me as well. However, I'm reminding everybody as we turn the page as well into week two, go back and look at 2014, the last time the Chiefs – played the Patriots. Brady was even worse. Uh, in fact, at the end of that game, he came out for Jimmy Garoppolo because that game was so out of hand. He threw a couple picks, mm-hmm. 159. Niall Davis 
uh, rushed for 100-plus yards. So did Jamal Charles. So between the two of them, they were basically what Kareem Hunt did. For whatever reason, Kansas City seems to own them. And if anybody recalls, they went to the Super Bowl and won that year. So you should buy all <laughs> shares of Patriots wherever you can. And next week, I guarantee you, there will be some shy ownership against oh. New Orleans. And I tell you, I'm not going to be one of them. I don't know about nope. you, Joe. Yep. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm going to be targeting plenty of Patriots. I think that that revenge narrative, um, we hear quite a bit in sports just in general. I think that's going to be a very legitimate one. And the Patriots have utilized that effectively throughout the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady era. So I'm, I'm, I'm completely on board with you. I did want to go back to that Monday night uh, game that you're talking about a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just going to quickly touch. Kareem Hunt is not as good as Delvin Cook in my mind. But Kareem Hunt is still very, very good. That's more just oh, sure. how good Delvin Cook can be. I think they both are excellent at breaking tackles. I think last season, actually, they were number one and two in all of college football in the uh, broken tackle category. So it's not to say that Kareem Hunt can't do that. I, Delvin Cook will do that against that Saints defense that, while they added a bunch of pieces, I don't know if it really made them that much better. Um, I like Delvin Cook against the Saints running the ball. I like Kyle Rudolph quite a bit as a tight end to target, especially in a, a two Monday night game, I, I think that he'll do fantastic because they're going to move the ball. They're probably going to be in the red zone. And Kyle Rudolph gets targeted enough where I think that he's a, a guy that I would look at quite a bit. I am not on Adam Thielen bandwagon and all that. That seems to be one of those. And I, I said it very early in the fantasy season. And it seems to hold true that Adam Thielen's one of those guys that uh, name your fantasy expert, whoever wants to be um, that you're, you find good. I don't know what any other way to put it. Um, that would say Adam Thielen is going to be a great uh, ninth, 10th round pick. And he'll always boast that one up on Twitter and then ends up getting, you know, 40 or 50 yards. And that's it. I'm not, I'm not an Adam Thielen fan at all. I think Stefan Diggs, if you're going to partner anybody with the Sam Bradford play is the guy that I'm looking at. I think that he adds a bit more dyna- uh, dynamic ability um, and they will look to target him in this week one game. I think that he will absolutely be a target for uh, the Vikings when they're not looking at Kyle Rudolph and not running with Delvin Cook. Yeah, I would imagine, especially with Sneed out too, Michael Thomas is going to be fairly active in this one. So that's another guy that's almost a must-own. And in the late game, too, another guy that's a must-own, if he could figure out a way to work him in price-wise and maybe fade quarterback a little bit or fade tight end, is Melvin Gordon. You know, last year, look, I know the Denver defense is very good. No one's, you know – going to argue that but against the rush last year they weren't as good as you think they were you know you got to go and dig a little bit deeper into the numbers and last year he had 94 rushing yards in the first game in the second game against him 111 and then he had 44 receptions in that so he put up 17 and a half last year so in that second game and that was in Denver and I'll tell you what Melvin Gordon this you know Chargers defense I think is better than people give him credit for the Chargers offense with Keaton Allen hopefully hopefully, fingers crossed, we can actually get a season out of Keenan Allen. I know so far it's not boding well with another Kevin White injury. I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to say rosaries and light candles and do all these (laughs) things here for Keenan Allen. But, you know, I think the Chargers are going to be competitive in this one more than some other people do. And I can't really get excited too much about the Denver side. I can't get excited about C.J. Anderson. Yes, it's fine. It's a fine play. It's There will be volume his way, but I don't know how much upside he offers. And, you know, as good as Emmanuel Sanders is, it's another situation like Ertz. Lots of opportunities last year in the red zone, not a lot of conversions. Of the four starting running backs that are playing today, I think I would go Delvin Cook number one, Melvin Gordon number two. But I do want to stress with you that I don't think Melvin Gordon is a great play. Um, I'm actually the beat writer for the Chargers at Rotowire, so I'm intimately familiar with all the injury happenings that have happened over with the Chargers over the last two or three mm-hmm. years. Um, I, I put the entire blame on Keenan Allen love train um, and the injuries that have ensued because I have been so high on him lately. So I really tried to tamper that just a little bit this season because 
I, I like Keenan Allen, so I, I tried not to boost him up. I think he is a good play. I think he will be getting at least 10 targets against that Broncos offense. That being said, Melvin Gordon, you, you talked about the yards he got. What we, you didn't mention is how many carries he had taken. I think that um, uh, the second game that he played where he had over 100 yards or close to it, he broke off one big run, and other than that, he had under two point out. Yeah, 23 carries for 111 in that one. So they were feeding him, you know? Yes, yeah, and they're going to do that. I think whether it be rushing or passing, Gordon will get close to 25 to 30 touches because that's what the offense likes to do for the Chargers. They're going to be moving the ball quite a bit. I just don't know if he's a guy that I would look at. Now, obviously, there's, again, four starting running backs. You have to really just pick two. I'm not a huge Adrian Peterson fan. I certainly am not a Mark Ingram fan. So Delvin Cook, Melvin Gordon, probably be the direction I go. But I, temper your expectations there because I just don't think that he's going to be able to replicate the same type of numbers. I think that Broncos defense is pretty darn good. And I don't know if Melvin Gordon has quite figured out how to break that Broncos defense. All right, before we close up shop, Adrian Peterson, does he get in the end zone in Minnesota tonight, yes or no? Yes, only because they're going to force feed him. I think they're going to they're going to call all the fourth down plays. Forget field goals today. They're just going to go all fourth down and hand it off every single time they're in the red zone. I think he scores just to the revenge factor. I don't think he does much, though, in DFS purposes. All right. You can follow him on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports. You can follow me at JoePizzaPia17. For everybody here at Rotowire, have a great night of Daily Fantasy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.